Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 248. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed and award-winning epic high fantasy author, Todd Fonestock. So, so Todd, this I, I've been very excited, been very excited to talk to you. You are a prolific fantasy author. You have you have four major fantasy series that you've been writing and correct me if i'm wrong but i was trying to do my research on this you your first published book is less than 10 years old correct yes and no uh i think let's see no i think so the very first book i ever published well let's let's say it's air of autumn i did some ghost writing but i'm not going to count those um so air of autumn was published in 2006 so that was our, our and i wrote that with a with a co-author of mine it's okay. not on my website um i haven't gotten the rights back to that yet so it's not on my website but it was me and giles carwin we wrote a um a story together and it got picked up by harper collins got auctioned off in new york it was the whole nine yards it was really fun um and uh, that was a trilogy um and that was in 2006 was like the okay the first big book that i ever got published Okay, because I, I like Fair Mist. I mean, the, the, your the first book of the Whisper Prince came out in 2015, mm-hmm. and that kind of like that kind of snowballed into this entire like full time. I'm writing. I'm writing. Basically, it, it just feels like with your you're less than a decade of writing some of these books now that it, it mm-hmm. almost feels like you're writing like writing and publishing like a book a week. I know I'm being facetious, like that's exaggeration, but it, you have got a lot of books that you've already put out already. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I think it's like most people that, that work towards something. I mean, what you're seeing is the, the part of the iceberg that's coming above the, uh, the waterline. Um, I mean, like I started writing when I was 18 years old and i have been writing off and on through that i would say i was 33 so remember i was born in 1970 so you can just add the decade and, and it's the, so it was you know it was 2003 when i really sort, sort of said okay i'm gonna get serious about this right and i started looking into the professional side of things the publishing side of things figuring out how to get an agent how to get an editor how to get a publishing house all of that stuff back when trad publishing was the only game in town right um and then, uh, you know, got our got our lucky break essentially in 2004, 2005. Um, wow. And that kind of snowballed into the rest of it. So I've been working underneath the waterline for a good long while. But you're right. 2015 was kind of a turning point for me. That was the point at which, you know, indie publishing and small press publishing was getting more popular. And, um, you know, a lot of artists were, were just kind of breaking out and doing their own thing. And. Um, so 2015 was a turning point, but 2017 was really the turning point for me. I mean, like between, between 2015 and 2017, I think I wrote three books. So one a year, but in 2017, the magic really happened because Lara, my wife, who had been the stay at home parent up to that point with a massage business on the side, she's a massage therapist. Um, and I was doing most of the breadwinning through my job as the director of development at the American diabetes association. Um, she got to a point she's like, I'd really kind of like to use my college degree for something other than, you know, uh, you know, changing diapers and, and uh, you know, not that, I mean, that's the hard job, honestly, I, I'm, I'm here to say, because we, we essentially, what she said was, I'd like to get out into the job market. And I'm like, well, I'd like to quit my job and start writing books and be the stay at home dad. So how about we just do a kind of toss across? And she's like, you got it. 
So that's what we did. It took about two years of transition to do that, but that's what we did. And, um, and I started writing full time because she kind of took up the mantle of primary breadwinner in 2017. So yeah. that was really like, we talk about where, where did I really start kind of cranking out the books? That was the time, um, you know, 2015, I was still just trying as hard as I could during my extra hours. But once 2017 hit, I had all my days to write and promote and go to cons and all the stuff that I'm doing now started building in 2017. Right. Now, because as we mentioned, you have like four major series and you have some other one-offs one that we, we talked about before we went live. Now, did you already have these in draft form for years ahead of time or did, or these just from scratch 2015 on that you started writing your series like Threadweavers and the Eldros Legacy and so on? Yeah, so that's an excellent, excellent question. And the answer is is a little bit complicated. So uh, I started working, I think I started working on Fair Mist somewhere around 2005. And that okay. book took me a good 10 years to bring to the point where I, I um, was able to release it into the world. And then even earlier than that, the concept of the Threadweaver series, the Wild Mane, Godspill, Threads of Amarion, and God of Dragons, that four book set, that actually started in high school, if you can believe that. So decades wow. before I finally brought it to the light. Now, now that's right. That's the first one right there. Um, so that that character. So this this book starts when that character is 1400 years old, give or take a few years. Mm. And the character that I came up with in high school that I used to role play, we used to role play in Marvin's attic is what we would call it because Marvin was my friend and I was living with him at the time. And he, you know, Wildmane, was a character that was created from those role-playing sessions. And he was 18 years old at that time. So I started a novel back then that only got, I don't know, a third of the way through, maybe 30,000 words. And I put it aside. But when I got to college four years later or so, um, I decided to pick up the story, but I, I, I put a new twist on it. I, I put him, you know, 1400 years into the future. What would this eternal man be like at this point? And what will have happened to him in the intervening centuries? And how does that story begin? And that was what became the core of this book. Now that would have been in like 94, 95 when I wrote that okay. first draft of that first book. And I did not rewrite it until 2003. That's when I picked it up oh. again. And then that's when I wrote The Godspill. That's when I wrote Threads of Amarion, the next two volumes. And then when 2018 came around and I had had a couple of years writing full time, I'm like, I want that story to be out there. So I picked it up. I brushed it off. I rewrote the entire first book and about kept about 90% of it. Rewrote the second book, kept about 50% of it. Rewrote the third book, kept about 10% of it. And then <laughs> wrote the fourth book. That's kind of how that all came to be. So so this one, that God of Dragons, that is brand new as of 2018. Threads of Amarion, 90% mm. of it was brand new as of 2018. And then, as I said, God's Bill is about half the same as what I'd written before. And then Wildmane had been reworked and reworked and reworked. And that one, um, that story is is decades old. Right. Now, do you have, I'm really curious about, because you have, you know, you know, as we say, four distinct series here. Do you see that readers tend to stick to one series or they, if, if they, if, for instance, if they like Threadweavers or the Whisper Prince, they're going to just read all your books or are they pretty territorial of like, like say, for instance, if you write something of like, you know, the tower of the four and they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm still waiting for like another whisper prince book. You get, do you get, you know, feedback from your readers about things like that? Yes. Yes. And I would say 
I would say maybe 30% of less of my or less of my readers are like, all I want to read is Tower of the Four. That's it. That's all I want. I mean, it's maybe even less than that. Um, I think I've been fortunate in that a lot of them want to, you know, they get done with the story and they want to see what else I've written. You know, I mean, I, I think that um, a lot of times nowadays people are following the series and not necessarily the author. Like back when I was a kid, like I would look for what the, the author was putting out. And I think there still are a lot of readers that do that. But I think more and more like these series that are just like, you know, there's 52 books in the series. They're just following the series and then they can like, you know, swap in new authors and that sort of thing. And I think my following tends to like the style of writing that I do. And most of them are like, okay, I got done with Whisper Prince. What else does he have? And they go and they look at it and then they get into that series. But for sure, I think most people have their favorites. Um, I have a give you an example. I, I, I teach Taekwondo and one of the instructors at the Taekwondo dojang that I go to, she's really loves uh, high fantasy and she's really into the Eldros story right now. And it's kind of coming out. But she is a diehard Tower of the Four fan. And I keep saying, so with the latest Eldros, did it, you know, did it move into first place? She's like, no, no, I'm waiting for the next Tower of the Four. I mean, she says, I'll read your stuff and I love it. But, you know, the Tower of the Four is really what got her. Yeah. And that's great. You know, I mean, I, I, I am happy for people to, you know, focus on one series over the other. Um, I would say, you know, give the other ones a try. If you, if you like the right. style of what I did give the other ones a try. I think, and like I said, I think most people do like I go to cons and I talk to a lot of fans and essentially they'll come to me in the con and be like, is the next tower of the four out? And I'm like, I haven't gotten to it yet. And they're like, well, what else do you have? Love that question. I love that question. <laughs> it's like, well, let me tell you about Eldros or let me tell you about Threadweavers or whatever the case may be. Um, generally right. speaking, if you like one of my series, you're probably going to like the others. They're, they're, similar in flavor though very different in world building and originality i i think how do you establish when you when you first decide to write a new series do you build the world or do you actually have a character concept that you want to kind of because you mentioned that you're a pantser so do you actually just write and just have the world build around the story as it goes, or do you actually plan everything out, map it out, put in the government and religions and all that stuff ahead of time? Or how does that work? <laughs> so um, I was actually talking to my assistant, uh, Becca, who I think, you know, um, and I was, I was talking about uh, how, you know, what different things writers do to kind of add to their toolbox as they go along. And if you had talked to me 10 years ago and said, you should really read save the cat. I'd be like, you know, I'm not, I'm not reading somebody else's idea of what a novel ought to be. I'm going to do my own thing, right? And as a result, of course, I made a lot of mistakes over and over and over again <laughs> that people 30 years ago have figured out how to just avoid and not make, right? And when I finally got around to reading something like Save the Cat, you know, or, or um, you know, The Hero of a Thousand Faces, or My Novel Can Beat Up Your Novel, I mean, there's a lot of really good resources out there, whatever you know, catches your fancy is what you should use. Um, I mean, I made quantum leaps. I feel in my ability to create something fairly quickly that is also high quality because I'm looking and I know the the tricks and traps that can stop a story from being good, right? Um, and so, so once I, I kind of hit that, I was like, okay, I'll read Save the Cat. And then I was like, this is fantastic. Why did I never read this before? I'm such a moron, you know? I mean, like I could have, I could have skipped out on years of struggling with certain things that like, anyway, so to answer your question, to get back to your question about the whole pantsing thing and how I come up with stuff. So here's what happens usually. And I got to tell you, I mean, there is no novel that has been exactly the same for me. 
every single one of them is a different approach. I start, usually what happens when I start a book is I'll have an idea just like I used to back when I was a teenager and 20 something, and I will write the first chapter, right? I'll just jump in because I like to get into the world. I like to submerge myself and then look through the eyes of the character and, and whatever is happening in their mind. And then I start to see things and that's how I start to build. But I also have become very dedicated to the reader. Like once upon a time, and I think for all authors, you start with this need for catharsis, right? I mean, like you, you have something you want to put on the page and you could have a million reasons as to why you want to do that. But a lot of it is you got something to say and you have to be this way to be an author. Like you have to be somewhat self-centered, if not extremely self-centered, because you got to dig in and play with that for hours and hours and hours at a time, right? So it can be a very self-involved task. But then if you want people to get into what you're doing, you got to think about what they want also, right? And so if you're, and this is kind of the marketing, this is like writing to market and that sort of thing, which I believe in to a certain extent, to the extent that I want to pay off my readers. My contract is with the readers. I want them to feel the payoff. So if they pick up my novel and they want a high fantasy novel and I'm writing a romance novel with a few swords in it. Like I know that my audience would be disappointed with that. Now don't get me wrong. I, I have some romantic elements in my story, but it is not a romance. Right. Mm. And same thing. Like if you were writing a sci-fi novel and it turns out to be a mystery and you marketed it as a sci-fi novel, you're going to have some upset people. Right. So I, what I right. try and do when I create a high fantasy novel is like, okay, what do high fantasy readers want? And I start checking off the list. And if I get too lost in my own little cathartic, you know, creation here, I will back up and go, oh my gosh, I haven't had a sword fight scene in, you know, 30 pages. We got to remedy that. There hasn't been a monster on this page for, you know, a long time. I mean, like there are things that I pay attention to now more than ever before. And something like Save the Cat, the structure of that that way of writing. And it's not a formula. A lot of people and, and myself included before I got into it would be like, well, I don't want a formula right. It's not what it is. Essentially, it's this loose structure that allows you to understand where the emotional nodes of your story are. And so then you can kind of essentially highlight them, right? I mean, like yeah. put put the right kind of makeup around them, the right eyeshadow and the right mascara and the right to make it pop, right? I mean, when it when the reader comes along to it, right? So what happens for me is usually I'll start writing. I'll write these first couple of chapters and then I'll go get my beat sheet for save the cat. And I'm like, okay, let's lay it out, you know? And usually what happens, and there's a three act structure, as you know, to the save the cat, right? But for those who don't know the save the cat, it's like, you got to do act one, you got to do act two and you got to do act three. Right. And all these beats include breaking from act one into act two, breaking from act two into act three, the midpoint, the catalyst, all these cool things. Right. So then I'll lay that all out. And usually the first act is about 90% I stay on target. Usually the second act, I stay about 50% on target. And then the third act is like completely off the rails. By then I've, I've, I've got the story in hand and I don't, I'm not caring about the structure and I'm just letting my intuition go. Because I think there's a lot of truth to that. Be, because each, as you mentioned, like each, um, each series is, a, is, is different. Do you determine which one you're writing? Do you actually have a calendar set up or you say, or are you be, because of the way you described yourself? Are you like, I just really want to write more whisper prints today. Or, or do you have like four, four books happening congruently and you just say, what are you, where's the muse taking you that day? Or do you actually have a set calendar? Like I need to write two chapters for this series today. Like, how does that work for you? So I guess my answer to that would be, Yes. <laughs> I struggle. <laughs> I struggle with this. This is my daily struggle, right? That 
yes, I have a, a, you know, what I should write next. And I, I really do try to get on and do that, but I'm also an inspirational writer. I mean, okay. So I've vacillated back and forth because I believe that you need to get yourself to the keyboard. There's nothing more commonplace than a writer. That's like, Oh, I got to wait till I'm inspired. And then they're inspired maybe five days out of the year. And so they don't write a novel that year. Right. If you're a professional, you have to get to the keyboard and you have to make right. yourself. Um, there's this great phrase that I've heard. Um, the muse will find you, but she has to find you working. So essentially you got to sit down and start putting the words onto the page. And then the muse kind of comes in and helps you out. And sometimes it's not that way. Let me tell you about summer of the fetch sometime. I mean, like that was the muse came and sat on my shoulders and did not move for 13 days. And that's how long it took to write the first draft of that book. And I was like, I mean, I was a wreck. Like Lara was coming in and going, honey, are you going to eat? And I'm like, yes, I'll eat. And she would like, had to bring food to me. I mean, by the end, I was, it got painful. Like the last three days were painful. I mean, at first it was like, oh my gosh, I'm just like, this is just pouring out of me. And I don't even know where it's coming from. I just got to keep my fingers moving as fast as I can to get this story out. And by the end, it was like, can I please stop? You know, but I didn't want to stop because I was like almost done. So it was, it was, it was an interesting experience. I've never had that happen to me before. So that's the one side of things where you can write a novel in 13 days. And then the other side, so Slate Wizards, which just came out in December, was supposed to come out in December of the previous year. And I got so okay. stuck on that, that I just halted, right? And I baked cookies for two and a half months instead. Everybody that year got like more cookies than they could. They could stand because, because I, I couldn't, I had to do something with my creative energy and I could not right and and so that was that was a different different situation so two sides of the same uh same story. so yeah slate wizards is the the third one in that and that just came out i'm really happy with that story and i'm glad that i waited a year apparently other things needed to happen but to to try and get back to answering your question i do not work on a rigid schedule and i do not write only when the muse comes to me it's like it's this this constant tug of war where i'm like okay I'm not feeling it today. I'm going up. I'm working on the project I should be working on. And if I start working on that project and all of a sudden, you know, some new project is like, come work on me. I will go work on that project and see how far I get. Right. And I'll bounce back and forth between them until one of them gets in the cradle or until I'm just like, you know what? Enough is enough. I don't care if I'm inspired or not. You're going to sit in that freaking chair and you're going to work until this is done. That's kind of the struggle that I go through in that respect for, for, uh, back so, and forth between those two right so how so i get so why why write different settings have you ever did you ever think about when you're thinking about like a story of like you know as example like thread weavers or or eldros legacy is like was it ever an idea to say this is going to be one massive world and i'm just going to tell stories in it but you what was the benefit of having them in complete separate worlds altogether in settings you know I think, you know, back when I started Threadweavers and when I started Fair Mist and the Whisper Prince trilogy, that was kind of how they did it, right? It was like, you know, it was a trilogy. Like you wrote a trilogy. When I was right. growing up okay. in the 80s, there were no like 20 book sets. It was it was a trilogy. I mean, maybe there were, but it was like Mac Bolin. You know, it wasn't fantasy. Fantasy was all trilogies because of Tolkien. Um, and uh, and so that that's kind of what I was aiming for, right? And I think, I think... For me, I, I, the, each character had their own story. You know, Wildmane 
has a story. Mirala, who's another main character in that, has a story. Gray from Whisper Prince has a story. Adora from Whisper Prince has a story. Um, and when their story is done, it's done. So actually, this this keys up something that I think is very important. I think most epic fantasy readers these days, they are sick to death of the never-ending series, right? right. I mean, I, I got people coming up to my booth. I mean, I had this woman... <laughs> at the Denver Christmas market, she came up and she saw Fair Mist and she saw Undying Man. And I had not finished uh, uh, Slate Wizards yet. I mean, it was, I mean, the rough draft was finished and it was coming out in like five days. Right. And she came up and she's like, this looks really good. I really like this. I'm like, well, you're, you're in luck because the third and final book is coming out in a week. She's like, oh, so you don't have the third book here. I'm like, nope. And she walked away. She's like, I don't buy, she's like, I don't buy series that aren't finished and walked away. And I think this is a fairly prevalent attitude amongst a lot of fantasy fans at this point, because we've mm. been, we've been disappointed. I wouldn't say hoodwinked, but we've been disappointed too many times, you know, where, <laughs> where people start a story and then it's like, well, when is it going to finish? And now I'm waiting. And, you know, I was 22 when I started it and now I'm 38. <laughs> I don't even right. read fantasy anymore, you know? Um, so, so it's very important to me to finish my stories. Like I'm not looking to make the never ending series. I am not going to do that. I mean, maybe tower of the four will be like an ongoing thing, but, um, but whisper Prince trilogy is done. Threadweaver right. is done. I have in mind the end point for Eldros legacy. It's going to be at least five, maybe six books just for my piece of it. And okay. many other books for everybody else's piece of it. Um, but I believe in, like I said, paying off the reader. I want the reader right. to, walk away feeling fantastic and that they got what they came for when they read my stuff. Right. That's very important to me. And so how is, so you mentioned earlier, you got a lot of inspiration from playing Dungeons and Dragons. Have you ever thought about taking these and making them into like, say a tabletop role-playing game, like supplements or settings? Yeah, absolutely. So Eldros Legacy was, was created with that partially in mind. Um, and it is an, an Elder's Legacy, just to kind of catch the, the viewers up on what that is. It is a multi-author, shared world, mega epic fantasy series. And what you see here, this trilogy that you see up on the screen, that's my part of the story. Um, there are three other founders that are writing in their continents. So that little symbol at the bottom of each of those books, that is the con that is the symbol of the continent of Noxanon. Um, oh, that's cool. Just like this too. This is each of them has their stories on their continent that begin with their book one and their book two and round about book four, they're all going to start to come together like the Avengers, right? Oh, like, cool. Like the Marvel Universe Avengers, right? In this, this epic fantasy uh, setting. So, and then in addition to that, so that's the meta plot, right? That's like, you know, Thor and Captain America and uh, Hulk all coming together and Iron Man all coming together in the Avengers uh, from their individual stories. Well, in addition to that, we have invited about a dozen other cohort authors, both um, longstanding names and uh, newbies to the to the writing scene, to come and write their own stories in our world. Right? Okay, it's all right. People can come and they can write in this world, and um, and they can be completely disconnected from the meta plot. They can be where like they're off in some you know, jungle distant setting where it's never going to uh, uh, rub up against the main characters, or they can be pretty significantly involved in the meta plot that has to do with our, our lead characters. Um, and these are my lead characters, Kyvan, Laurel, Ren, Vaughn, and Slater. 
uh, Slater the Mage. So each one of them kind of has their beginning story that's, of course, continuing the main story all the while. But you could pick up any one of these books and you could start it. Like Ren the Traveler is the third one. You could pick it up and read that and you would enjoy it without having the first two. But it will make it richer if you read, if you start at the beginning. Um, Kaivin yeah. starts the story off. Is, is that pretty much like a D&D setting then? This was created to be a D&D style fantasy. That is to say there are dungeon crawls, there are parties. Like, I mean, this is the beginning of my party, and I kind of mentioned the five people in my party. Well, we've got the wizard, Slater. We've got the ranger, which is Ren. We've got Kaivin, who's the warrior. We've got Lorel, who's the rogue. And Vaughn is kind of the cleric of the group, right? So it's very, very Dungeons and Dragons-esque. And our, our goal with this was to start this up and then see, you know, if we can get some interest and make modules out of it for a role-playing system. So, yes, we were very intentionally wanting to do that. We haven't gotten to that part yet, but yes. And and you said it earlier too about you did mention also um the summer of the fetch. And before mm -hmm. we went live, you did kind of talk about you don't have any favorite children, but summer of the fetch actually has um is, is almost a passion project for you in a way. Yeah, it totally was. It totally was. And that's the one that took me 13 days to write. That's the one where the mu I mean, like you asked me, how do I pick my projects? Well, I think at the time I was supposed to write the next. Uh, Tower of the Four book and Summer of the Fetch came along and just smacked the crap out of me. He said, nope, you're <laughs> writing this story, right? And it's interesting because I have wanted to write something autobiographical since I was a teenager. You know, it's like, oh, mm. I'm going to tell everybody about my very long and rich life when I'm 16 years old, right? <laughs> but I never did. Every time I started it, I'm like, well, this is just the boring crap that I live through every single day. Who wants to read this, right? <laughs> and so I started this this story trying to talk about my childhood in Durango. And in the beginning, I wrote this chapter and it happened just the way it always happened. I, I go great guns and then it starts to cool off. And then by the middle of chapter two, I'm like, this sucks. And I put it away. I have, I'm not kidding you. I've got about eight novels or, or eight stories that started and that I quit that are just like that. And so with this one, it happened the same way. I wrote the first chapter and I went to bed and I'm like, this sucks. I'm not, I'm just going to quit. And I woke up in the morning and I was like, dang it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try it. So I went back and I completely scrapped chapter one, rewrote chapter one again, and then wrote chapter two and I wasn't bored yet. And then I wrote chapter three and I wasn't bored yet. And that's when the muse came in and was just like, okay, you're writing this and this is how it goes. And it was almost like somebody was talking in my ear. I mean, like I couldn't stop typing. I just kept putting down this story and this part of the story and this part of the story. And some of the fetch is what came out. And it's not fully autobiographical. Like I said, it's probably 25% steeped in real life. And then the rest is just pure gossamer fantasy, right? It is a modern myth, coming of age, road trip story set in 1988. And 17-year-old Eric is in Canyonlands and he's rock climbing. He's 80 feet up on this cliff face and he's lost his way. Okay. He is hanging on and he can't find his next hold and his arms are starting to slip and he's about to fall. And then he spots a hold that is the perfect hold, but it's out of reach. He's going to have to jump. So he Ooh. jumps for the hold and misses. And as he's about to fall to his death, these two hands reach down, they grab his wrists and they pull him up and they secure him on the hold. He clambers to the top of the cliff and standing there is this beautiful red haired woman. And she says, I'm your fetch. And Eric says, what's a fetch? And she says, I'm a spirit of fortune and good luck. And if you dance with me, I will make you a legend over the course of the summer. Anything you've ever wanted to do, do it. Anything you've ever been afraid to try, try it. And I will make sure you succeed. But at the end of the summer, 
on the eve of your 18th birthday, you will die. And Eric reaches out and takes her hand and thus begins the summer of the fetch. So that's, that's how it wow. uh, uh, begins. And, and so you also, you, and you also wrote another book that is basically a memoir as well. Yes. Yep. And that one, um, I mean, that's one that I'm so glad I wrote it because it, it, it chronicled this time that will never come again, you know, mm -hmm. um, essentially. And then, and again, <laughs> these, these blurbs are good. They tell you exactly what you need to know. <laughs> so essentially, um, I got woken up in the middle of the night because my son was on the phone and he's not supposed to be on the phone at 3 a.m. He's 14 years old. That is not okay. Right. And I like the whole, the chapter is called uh, Dr. Smiley and Mr. Lizard Brain. I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I think most people would say I'm fun to be around. I'm a nice guy. I'm smiling a lot. I'm looking for the good time. Right. And when I'm asleep and I get woken up, I'm not Mr. Smiley or Dr. Smiley. Right? I'm Mr. Lizard Brain. Right. Like I go straight to my primal roots and like whatever it is that's woken me up ha must die, right? <laughs> it must die. So I go down and I'm not at my fathering best as I burst into his room and say, what are you doing on the phone? And he's like, I'm talking to my friend. He's having a hard time going to sleep. I'm like, I don't care if he's having a hard time. So like I snatch the phone from him. I tell him to go to sleep and I walk out and then I have this revelation in the kitchen, which is just outside of his room. And I'm like... Oh, that was an opportunity to be a good dad. And you totally flubbed it, dad. You totally screwed that up. And then I had this further revelation where I'm like, you know what? My son is 14. And when I was 14, my parents got divorced and I had to learn how to figure out how to do all my adult stuff at that right. moment. The point is that's about the time that you grow up. That's about the time that you stop needing your parents so badly. And I realized I'm not going to have many more opportunities to be a good dad. And mm. then this whole idea for the Colorado trail fell into my lap. And there's a whole story around that as well. I won't get into the details of it, but essentially I made the choice because I'm like, you know what? I, I'm not going to get to go out and be a father to my son in such an extreme situation ever again. He's in a formative mm. year. Uh, you know, this is the formative year for him. And if I go out and I do something where he gets to really know himself, that is be the best favor that I could do for him. And you know what? It freaking was like this kid, you would not believe the stuff that he's doing nowadays. I mean, like this was such a, and I'm not, I'm not taking all the credit, but it was definitely the, the hike was a part of this. Like he got to know himself right. really well on that hike. And now he is kicking butt. He's rocking a 4.7 GPA, his junior year in high school. He's like looking at all these great colleges. He is a, freaking amazing rock climber, ironically. Like I, I wouldn't say, I mean, Summer of the Fetch was not his inspiration to become a rock climber, but he's really good. If you know anything about bouldering, he's uh, he's rocking five, V9s at this point and he's working on V10s. I think he has one V10 to his name. So those of you who know bouldering, you know that that's pretty damn good. I think at my best, I could probably do a V4. Right. So. No, I guess my, my, my question to you is like, because you wrote that in 2021, that was published there. How did your writing style change after you wrote this memoir or did it? I don't think it did. I think it changed okay. to write the memoir because okay. 
it was the first time I didn't have to just come up with the details from my imagination. You know, when I'm mm. writing high fantasy, if I need a creature that's supposed to be in this shadow over there, I come up with a creature, right? And I just make him up and make him something that I like. But in this particular one, all the notes were already written down. When I was walking the trail, I was making copious amounts of notes. But what I had to do was take all that reality, make sure I didn't skew it, because this is all true. Everything in that story is true. There may be one or two things where their chronology got messed up because I forgot when they happened. So they may have happened out of order, but everything in that story happened for real. And um, I had it all written down. So it was more of just, it was more of like an organizational kind of exercise as opposed to a making stuff up kind of exercise, I think. Okay. Um, and so when I, when I got done with that, I mean, that was not a part of my writing skills that I flexed very often. So as soon as I got done with it, I was like, oh, I'm glad to get back to just, you know, pure where I'm making stuff up because I don't have to research if I'm making stuff up, right? It's just all coming from my imagination. Somebody wants to say, oh, well, you know, how did you know to make the blarg three-headed? I'm like, because I said so, you know, <laughs> there's, no, <laughs> there's no book of ancient, you know, uh, Greece that I have to, you know, uh, cling to to make the blarg three-headed he's just three-headed because i said he was three-headed but when you do something like a memoir like there were details i had to get right and i had to make sure that i had named the correct place or the lake that we stayed at that one time all of that stuff had to be accurate so right and and so how did that work too because it kind of reminds me as you as you create these epic worlds how do you make sure you're ensuring continuity on how descriptions happen or how, how places are described with the fantasy worlds. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I don't consider myself to be, uh, ridiculously intelligent, but there are some things that work really well for me that I think actually I, I have probably a higher, uh, than average level of, of, um, ability. And one of those is remembering stuff like that. Like that's probably okay. what takes up the part of my brain that, uh, should be focused on what my wife says when she asks me to get stuff at the grocery store that I get to the grocery <laughs> store 15 minutes later. And I don't remember what she said. I think the Ram for that is being taken up by all these details of the story. Right now. I'm not saying I get it right every time, but like people ask me what kind of complicated spreadsheet do you you know put together to make sure that this and this and this fall together and i'm like i, I didn't i just went back and reviewed like i i had this notion of when this happened in the story and so i went back to Fairmist and i looked at chapter 35 and that's where this happened and so i'm like oh okay i take that and then i go to you know slate wizards like this is what happened in, in Fairmist at that time i mean it's really it's it's i don't know classic pantser disorganized organization you know i just reach into the grab bag of holding and i pull it out i'm like oh there it is that's what it was that i wanted <laughs> so like i said i don't have many superpowers but that may be one of them right okay see um so so as you said you're you're now putting out basically almost three books a year right yeah that's about about my average i i swear i've been chasing a thousand words a day average is what I want. Wow. So I want 365,000 new words in a year, which would be four books, generally speaking. Um, and I've not hit it yet. I've been trying that for that. This is my third year um, that I've been trying to do that. And I, I haven't hit it yet, but you know, you shoot for 365 and you hit 300. That's still three solid epic fantasy books. So that's about where I'm at right now. Right. Now, if, if people want to, to discover and read more of your books, where's the best place they could go to? I would say toddfonestock.com has all okay. of my, you can go to my, and that's what you've been showing all along. Just this, this books page on toddfonestock.com. 
Um, you can also go to Amazon and look up any one of my books, then click on the little link with my, where my name is. You know, like right there, you can see Kindle, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. You click there and then you've got, I mean, all my books are up on Amazon as well. Um, and you can just look and find all the, I mean, like it might be kind of confusing because they're all out of order as far as series go. You go to my website, you're going to find all the series order and, and how they're all supposed to fit together. So really that's the best place to do it because there I've got them all, you know, uh, organized so that you can see them from one to six, as far as the tower of the four is concerned, or one to four, as far as thread weavers is concerned. Um, right. that right there that you're showing, those are the omnibuses. So the uh, Tower of the Four was organized in episodes, 30,000 words episodes, you know, on the hopes that if Netflix decided they wanted to make a show out of one of my series, this would lend itself very perfectly to that. You hear me, Netflix? If you want to make a series <laughs> out of my show, this is uh, this is the one to probably do it with. It's, it's very fast paced, very interesting. And each episode would fit in probably one or two episodes on TV. Um, and then these, the bottom ones here, uh, those are the omnibuses. So that would be in the normal kind of fantasy size of a book. It'd be like 90,000 words right there, each of those, oh, um, okay. which is about 90 to 100,000 is about average for an epic fantasy book. Right. Wow. Perfect. Well, you know, Todd, listen, you got to come back on when you have, uh, you know, you know, more, when you have more books coming in. You, you, you got something to talk about probably every few months or so, see? I, I do. In fact, uh, my assistant has forced me to send out not just an email once a month on my readers group. Oh, by the way, if you're interested in like hearing what's coming out when it comes out, you should join my readers group. Just go to my website and it'll pop up in one of those little pop-ups and say, get a free short story, join Todd's readers group. I do like the babbling that I've been doing on here with you. I do that in prose for each of those episodes. Whatever I'm thinking at the time gets like, three to five paragraphs of me just kind of babbling on about it. And then I tell you, you know, where am I going to be at cons? What's coming out next? What's out now? Freebies that I sometimes give away. It's a fun place to be. If that's your, if that's your bag, you should totally sign up for it. And it keeps you kind of uh, apprised, but yeah. Um, have me back anytime. This has been a blast. I, I love this. Yeah. Cause you, and you also do on your website, you can also kind of follow where you're going. So next you're going to be in a couple of weeks or you're going to planet comic-con. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. You should see if I could pan my camera, you could see the boxes of books that I've got stacked up. In fact, maybe I can do that for you. you want me to try and do that? Hang on a second. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So this is my room and this is the garbage that's all in my room. But over here is like, th those are the boxes that are going to Comic-Con. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's right. probably on the order of about 425 books, 450 books. Um, wow. Yeah. So that's uh uh, I'll be loading that up in my dilapidated little van and headed out. And then after that, I'm going to GaryCon um, right, right after that. Like the following weekend, I'll be up in Wisconsin uh, for, for GaryCon, which is, uh, uh, yeah, so that's that's um, s some really cool uh, beginnings for me. Uh, Margaret Weiss of Dragonlance fame. I don't know if you remember Margaret yeah. Weiss and Tracy Hickman. Yeah, I mean, they were my favorite series when I was growing up. I loved the Dragonland series and Margaret gave me my big start. My very first published short story was because of her. And I wow. love you, Margaret. Um, I, she's, she was such a great mentor to me at that time. And, um, 
And she got me into that short story anthology, which is uh, Dragonlance Tales 2, Volume 2, The Cataclysm. So for those of you who have those old anthologies stuck on your shelf, you can find my very first published work, which is a short story called Seekers. I, I got $500 for that short story, and I Xeroxed the, the check, and I still have it somewhere. It's not in this room right now, but I Xeroxed the copy of that check, and I, I should put it, you know, I should do like you, and I should have a, like a, a glass frame and, and put it up. Uh, frame right my, see well thank you so much todd it's, it's been great and uh, i you know come back on anytime thank you thank you well you send me the invitation i will be there i will put it on my <laughs> <laughs> So, so Todd, I want to make sure I get your name, your last name right, because I got it. This was just a pre-show banter, so I haven't even done the intro yet. See, cool. Um, uh, stock. So close, so close. It's actually Fonestock. So Fonestock. Fonestock. That was close. Okay. Yeah. All yep. right. All right. All right. Cool. All right. Here we go, Todd. Let me do, let me do the intro and we'll jump into it. All right. Okay.